Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. I think getting that mindset of openness and learning and being able to relate the stories other people tell you to your own reality is probably what has made the most difference in my development career. This is Property Investry where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump. And in this episode, we continue the conversation with Henry Villa, who will be talking about the importance of perception and why you should look at problems as opportunities, his bottom-up approach to finding the perfect site for developing a property, and what promising plans lie ahead for his property-developing future. Despite being fortunate enough to have friends and colleagues that assisted him during the beginning of his property development journey, Villa delves into the mindset that initially held him back. There's something that I think holds a lot of people back. It did, it did hold me back for many, many years. Uh, luckily, I kind of again surrounded myself with the right people to get around it. And it was my perception of debt. So one of the things that um, you know, it's very different in property than it is in, in, in other vehicles is the ability to carry debt. And when you have a perception of debt as something that is bad, like my parents did, like my old upbringing uh, led, led me to lead, where you try to pay off debt uh, rather, than, rather than carrying it, that can become a, a really limiting factor. So, in, in, you know, there's good debt and bad debt. And, and once you understand that, you can use that for your advantage and to be honest, to achieve things that you could not achieve um, any, any other way. It was through reading and research that Villa's outlook on property changed, prompting a sudden interest in the property world that would forever change his mindset. A friend of mine uh, gives me a book from Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which you mentioned in the podcast a thousand times, and so have many of your uh, of your uh, of your interviewees. Um, it was one of those times. I'm one of those who kind of read the book and suddenly sparked enough curiosity uh, to go and understand more, to go and talk to people, to go and see how this thing could work. Um, luckily, my analytical mind. Um, was you know was well equipped to have a look at the evidence and realize that um, that a lot of those concepts were were valid. And like I said, once that clicked in my head, 
there, there was no going back. I was, you know, could never see the world the same way. Villa explains that was by changing his mindset and listening to the stories and experiences of numerous people that he was able to succeed in his property development career. There's all sorts of things that I've done over over the years. Everything from kind of specific sales training to specific building training to specific material training. But I think the one that's made the most difference is is the mindset. Um, the work that I've done in mindset and the people I've surrounded me with. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm going to be a bit cliche. I mentioned a lot of the people that you will have heard, you know, in other places, you know, over obviously Robert Kiyosaki, uh, T. Ecker, Tony Robbins, all of those guys. Um, and, and, and again, I've developed a, a, a mindset where I, I, I'm open to listen to anyone. It's you don't know where the next pearl of wisdom can come from. And sometimes it's out of these kind of big figures. Sometimes it's the, what I call the little people, a colleague, a tradie, someone in the street, um, it uh, you know I think getting that mindset of openness and learning and being able to relate the stories other people tell you to your own reality is probably what has made the most difference in my in my development career. He also adds what he believes is the best advice he's ever been given. The best advice I've ever received is to help enough other people get what they want uh, because that's what's gonna make them help you get what you want. Um, so that mindset and culture of serving others, of creating value for others, um, without necessarily thinking directly about what's in it for you, trusting that if you do enough of that, um, you know, it will all come around and, and you'll be in a great place. Touching on the mindset side of things once more, Villa gives us an insight into what he thinks is the mindset approach that has helped him succeed in his journey. For me, it's all about the way you look at problems, the way we look at problems. So uh, people in generally don't like problems. They think there's something bad that, you know, they should be avoided and a life without problems will be, uh, will be great. Uh, I have a different view. So my view is that problems are opportunities um, and that my daily job is really solving problems, solving problems for us, solving problems for, our, for others. And uh, if we... You know, if we focus on that next problem, um, on that next step, then everything is going to be fine. Many people kind of look at, well, in a big development project, they get overwhelmed by the, by knowing that there'll be 20, 100 problems that will arise over their duration of a project, and they don't know how they're going to solve that last problem, so they give up even before they start. So, so for me, I guess in terms of in terms of habits, what I do every day, what I remind myself of doing every day is look problems as opportunities and also when problems arise, concentrate on that first step. Let's solve the first portion of it and then once you get there, you can concentrate on the next one and keep keep plowing along until you achieve the results you want. Delving into the nuts and bolts of his property development strategies, Phil explains the processes involved in finding that perfect site and conducting feasibility studies. The way my process runs and my strategy in property, in property development runs is I start with the end in mind. I don't look for a site straight away. I don't necessarily look for an area straight away. Uh, we analyze the market to see what, what end users are demanding, where people want to live, 
what kind of houses or what kind of properties they want to live in, and where's demand increasing, where's demand decreasing. Um, and we follow a little bit of a method where we, particularly in Melbourne, um, and in the southeast in Melbourne in particular, which is where we do a lot of our work, there's a little bit of a wave moving from the inner suburbs all the way out to the to the outer suburbs. So we follow those trends and try to um, try to get a little bit ahead of them because you know a development project takes about eighteen months. So um, once we know what's what's been demanded, what people want, what where people want to live, and what kind of houses they want to live in, then we start having a look at you know where can we buy uh, lots of land or, or, or sites to build that kind of property. Um, and, and, and that leads us to the right suburbs, uh, the right parts of the suburbs, the right streets within those suburbs. Um, and then ultimately to getting into kind of specific negotiations for, um, for specific sites and specific properties. Once we have a property, then we, we go through a process of designing what the end product will look like. Again, because we are builders ourselves, we manage the end-to-end -end process. So in that early planning, we take into account, um, you know, construction cost and the, the effect, particular design decisions making those construction costs. So we optimize that process to make it both easy to go through council or at least as easy as it can be to go through council these days. Um, but also to ensure that the end product, uh, you know, it's um, as close to what the market wants as as possible. Uh, once we go through council uh, and get get a, a DA or, or or a planning permit, uh, depending on which state you are, um, we go through the process of creating construction documentation, building permits, uh, detailed drawings, structural engineering. Um, and then we process. We, we process. You know, we proceed to start start the construction, uh, which takes anywhere between you know seven and twelve months, de depending on the project. Um, somewhere in that process, depending on the project and depending on where the project is, we tend to involve uh, real estate agents, um, um, obviously our, our traders, but real estate agents in particular, so we can understand. If we need, if we're going to do sales of the plan, or if we want to wait uh, for uh, for the project to be fully built before we we take it to the market, again with the view of optimizing the results of each specific project, and in cases where we work with client to optimize the results for our specific clients. He describes the end goal his building company has in mind when developing properties and how they figure out the trends the market wants. Our development projects are. To be honest, they're rather boring sometimes. So we tend to follow a bit of a, a bit of a recipe. So the, the the biggest two trends in Melbourne at the moment um, that we're trying to address are uh, increasing density. So you know, gone are the days where you know the minimum requirement for a suburban house was to be on 750 square meters of land or a thousand meters of land, big house, you know, four bedrooms. Um, to, you know, two bathrooms, double car garage. Um, th those those properties, um, they still exist in the outer rings, but in the in the inner and center rings, um, they they're just not not affordable anymore. So there's a push to increase density in those areas. You know, put two townhouses where there used to be one, or sometimes three townhouses where there used to be one. Uh, so we look at a lot of those projects. 
the other big trend that we're following, sometimes in parallel with this first one, is is a the what is aging population. So a lot of people have been living in these houses in in, in some of those suburbs um, for 20, 30, 40, 40, 50 years. Yeah, uh, they're at a point where you know children you know have grown up and they're going on their on their own way. Uh, and now they're stuck with a house that might be too big for what they want, um, hard to maintain. You know, they don't want to mow the lawn. They don't. They don't want the level of maintenance that a, a, a traditional suburban house needs. But at the same time, they don't want to move. They're in a place where you know they they're used to the locality. Their friends live around them. They know where the shops are. They know where the entertainment areas are. Um, so what we tend to do is we tend to establish projects that will allow those downsizers. Uh, to take the opportunity of continue living in the communities they live in and take advantage of the lifestyle that, you know, um, that, that, that the place uh, offers them while at the same time have a, you know, low maintenance kind of new feeling property that, that will, you know, will take them from then uh, for, for many years. He also talks about the unique process he goes through in order to find the ideal development site. We start with the, with the end in mind. So we start, you know, how much will these units or, or townhouses sell for? And that tends to set the frame for the entirety of the rest of the process. That's effectively the bucket of money that we have to spend on a project. Now, some of that will go to the land. And to be honest, the land is usually the last component. Some of that will go to the construction. And the construction costs tend to be, we can optimize them a little bit, but tend to be largely fixed. So what we tend to do is we tend to conduct conduct a full feasibility study where we take into account, you know, the end sales price of the property uh, minus um, the sales expenses. So, you know, uh, commissions for the real estate agents, uh, GSTs, taxes, that, that sort of things. Um, and then of the, of the remaining bucket, we subtract or take into account what we call the development cost, that includes both the construction cost, but also the other costs that are related to obtaining planning permits or DAs, um, to, to, to getting design, engineering, and, and, and working drawings out of that process. That tells us how much will this property cost to develop. And the residual of that is how much money we can pay, the maximum we can pay for a block of land um, but without without any profit, so we tend to take that that amount of money, subtract out of that what we consider to be a fair profit for for the project, and then we go shopping with the rest of the money. We know how much money we can afford um, for uh, to pay for a site, so we go to the market directly looking for sites with the characteristics. Uh, needed for that project, whether there's you know the the meterage or the frontage or the right zoning, um, but also with a very very clear budget of how much we can pay for a block of land. If it fits uh, that criteria, then we buy it very very quickly. We tend to take you know um, two or three days to make an offer. Um, if it doesn't fit that criteria, we immediately put it to one side and move on to the next. Coming up after the break, we'll continue to delve into Villa's process his team undergoes when completing a property development 
once we find a site and we negotiate it, we kind of locked it in. Uh, immediately we start we, we start deploying our team, our development team into the property. What he does to ensure all these development projects are successful from the building process to the selling process. We make sure that all those conditions that will lead uh, to for will lead to us abandoning a project and selling ultimately selling the property. We make sure that all of those things are avoided up front when we buy the site. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Invest Story. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, a different kind of bank built and supported by industry super funds. You could be getting a better deal on your home loan by getting in touch with MeBank. They offer competitive rates and two loan types. One with a range of features including the ability to fix your rate and have multiple offset accounts and another that's nice and simple with no ongoing fees. Both loans provide the flexibility of interest only or principal and interest. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a home loan that's right for you. Stop wondering and start saving by giving MeBank a call on 131563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the show. Western Australia is tipped to be the next property hotspot. If you're looking to invest and build in WA, take advantage of the affordable land market and record build times with Plunkett Homes. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build to find out why they are WA's most established home builder. With over 150 years of experience, Plunkett Homes helps you develop turnkey homes across WA. To get your fixed price demolition or site works and to maximize profits and minimize time, visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build. And now back to the show. Once a site is found, Villa explains that a number of people from his development team get involved in the planning process to make sure each project can run its course smoothly. Once we find a site and we negotiate it, we kind of locked it in. Uh, immediately, we start we, we start deploying our team, our development team, into the property. So there are a number of professionals that get involved very early in the process, everything from arborists to make sure that there are no, uh, no, no trees in, in the property that will cause an issue or that we can uh, maintain um, and, and what the design parameters have to be to to protect those trees. Uh, land surveyors to do a feature survey of, of the block of land, and immediately we get involved uh, our own architects and, and town planners to start thinking about the specific design, specific dimensions of the properties that we will build uh, in, into the block. Uh, all of those documents and all of those uh, activities with a view of very, very quickly uh, putting a package together, an application package uh, to go to go to council to obtain a planning permit or a DA, a planning permit in the case of Victoria. Um, the, once once we have all of that, we have a what's in Victoria called a, a pre uh, submission meeting with the with the relevant council, where we have a conversation with them about the project we want to do, what we're trying to build, you know, how we think it's going to impact the community um, and, and make sure that we address all the council's requirements up front. Um, once all of that has been done, then we submit to council 
Um, and then the, the wait starts. So that process tends to take eight or nine months to, to get from that point to the point where we get a permit. However, regardless of this efficient planning, Villa addresses the fact that there are holding costs to be covered and explains what his company does to cover these costs. So there's a few mechanisms that we use to, to address them. So, and it really depends on the project and the opportunity um, and, and you know, the, particular, the particular block of land. In a lot of cases, we try to negotiate long settlements. Um, not uncommon for us to buy properties with settlements 10 or 12 months away. Um, and that gives us enough time for us to process, to, to do all the process of obtaining permits without effectively owning the land and without effectively uh, having any holding costs for, for the land uh, beyond, beyond the deposit that we, that we paid up front. So um, sometimes that's not possible. And where that's not possible, then the holding cost during that period get factored in in the feasibility study that we run for the projects. He also explains what he does in order to find projects that allow for longer settlements. So it's very, very important to have the owner on board in, in this negotiation process. So sometimes it's doable, uh, so sometimes it's not, and it really depends on the needs of the, of the, of the vendor, the needs of the seller. So if you find a seller that doesn't really need to move out straight away and is happy having a year to plan what their next move is going to be, then that tends to be a very good match for, for us and our projects. Thinking back to all his previous property developments, Villa delves into why most of his projects work out and why he's never had to stop a project and sell it before developing. So two reasons why we don't end up selling the property. Um, the first one is we make sure that all those conditions that will lead uh, to, for, will lead to us abandoning a project and, and selling, ultimately selling the property, we make sure that all of those things are avoided up front when we buy the site. So um, that's why we meet with council before we submit the application. That's why we really only buy sites where our chances of success in the development process are high rather than when there's a surprise or something that is um, unclear or where there are kind of risks involved that are beyond what we're kind of willing to accept. Um, the other reason why we don't tend to abandon them is because being a builder, um, you know, we already have all the team and the mechanisms for us to, to drive projects to completion. So uh, sometimes we bring joint venture partners along the process if for whatever reason we decide that it's important for us to share the risk or if we have a joint venture partner that is particularly interested in working with us in some of these projects. Um, but in general, we tend to finish every project we start. I haven't found one that we haven't done that yet. He also explains that depending on the project itself, his projects can either be sold prior to completion or after. It really depends on the project. So most, most projects we run will have uh, a certain amount of pre-sales before while the construction is happening. Uh, and it tends to, um, tends to be aligned with the location of the project. So projects in more affordable suburban areas are, are easier to sell off the plan. And by selling off the plan, we can, you know, we can allow people to get access to those properties at a lower cost because they're obviously reducing our risk by buying, by buying upfront. 
Um, and also, obviously, they don't get access to the property immediately. They need to wait you know, three or four months until those properties are completed. Um, however, there are projects where pre-sales are just not practical, uh, particularly in the high-end suburbs. Uh, around the Bay in, in Melbourne is a good example. People just don't tend to buy these properties on pre-sale of the plan. They tend to wait until they can see it and feel it, until they can actually confirm the level of finishes that been that been um that been put in there, whether they like the colors or not, whether they like the appliances that being put in there or not. Um, so we tend to have that dual strategy where in, in a lot of our projects we tend to do pre-sales. Um, in, in other projects, it's just not practical to do pre-sales. So those get planned to run all the way to completion and then go to sale. With so many successful projects completed, Villa talks about why he's still in the property development industry and where he thinks he's at in his journey. The main reason why I'm still in property development is uh, I still feel I'm, I'm really young at this game. I still feel I have... 30 or 40 years of doing this and enjoying it, to be honest, more than I did the first day. Um, and it's a really, really fun process process to have. And it's a fun process to go through that has a the, the very rare opportunity of create a lot of value for others, but also obviously a, a lot of value for, for, for me personally, both um, you know, both as a personal growth instrument, but, but obviously financially. So, um, yeah, you, you're talking about, um, you know, my journey, and I think my journey is your starting. Looking back to the past, Villa tells us what important advice he'd give himself if he could go back 10 years in time. The biggest thing I will say to my younger self was, will be to be patient. Uh, and that's really important in what I do today, but it took me 10 years to, to figure it out, to not jump from, you know, from one thing to the next, to, you know, to one strategy to the next, to one vehicle to the next, uh, because it has not worked in the, you know, six, 12 months, 18 months that I've tried it. Uh, most things in life take time. Development in particular takes a lot of time. Uh, and patience is incredibly important. So I am naturally patient. So I've had to do a lot of work um, to to develop the patience to drive these projects from the very beginning to to its end. Letting us in on the secret to developing patience, Villa leaves us with a strategy that he's used to make sure he's always being productive with his time. There's a tool I personally use, which is to create a pre-commitment, right? So, um, and that pre-commitment, as well as being impatient, I'm also fairly committed. So once I commit to achieving something, I am, you know, I relentlessly pursue it. And I, um, we were talking about not giving up uh, before. I, I tend to, you know, once I commit to achieving a particular, uh, to going through a particular process, uh, I, I tend to follow through very well. So the way I've managed to um, control my impatience is by creating those com- those commitments, uh, even sometimes artificially, even sometimes when they're not needed. So um, I will go and commit to pursue a project for 18 months and put it in writing, sometimes put it in a contract, even if I don't have to, uh, just to ensure that you know once it's written down, now I need to follow through. 
So it's, it's really, really hard for me to kind of get away from that kind of personal commitment to me or my business partner or, or my clients um, be, before before that time. The other thing that has helped me a lot is to have enough things going on at, at the same time. So we don't have one project that runs for 18 months because what tends to happen in most projects is there are really, really busy times and there's really, really quiet times. And in those quiet times is when my impatience kicks the most. I can't sit still. I can't, you know, not be adding value, not 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 be you know, doing something. So, what I'm, the way uh, the way I manage that is have enough projects, so there's always something going on in my life, and that actually um, forces me um, to slow down. And I know it's a little bit counterintuitive, but because I have enough things going on at the same time, it's very easy for me to kind of look back and think where have the last, you know, six or 12 or 18 months gone because I've been busy doing, doing, uh, doing what I do best, doing what I love. Having been so successful with his property journey so far, Villa explains what he's planning to achieve over the next five years. Well, we're excited about a number of things. So we're on a growth path uh, uh, as, a, as an organization uh, and, and, and personally as well. Uh, we're, we're trying to double the size of our business in the next 12 to 18 months. We're tracking really, really well in that process. Um, but we're also excited to see, you know, some of the new trends and the new um, kind of kind of properties that that are starting to make appearance in a market like Victoria, where, um, you know, traditionally, you know, most properties have been of a particular type and a particular shape and a particular finish. It's almost like there's been this cookie cutter approach to houses for, for many decades. Uh, finally, with a, you know, with, with, with people like us, migrants coming coming here and getting a more more exposure to the younger generation, uh, a lot of those paradigms are are falling down. So I'm really excited to see the kind of properties we're going to be building, you know, five ten years from now. Thank you to Henry Villa, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening. If you love the show and you're ready to get serious about saving on your home loan, give MeBank a call. MeBank is the bank built by industry super funds, famous for their competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find the loan that's right for you. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply.